Well, I'm glad this morning to get back uh, into our series. We're right in the middle of a series, and it's been a couple weeks. Does anybody remember the name of our series? Live to Give. That's right. You remembered that without them even putting it up yet, so that was good. You did a good job there. Live to Give. Uh, and I am so excited. I, I, we've been through a couple of messages already in this series, and uh, it, we have a couple more messages to go. And uh, this series has just excited me in studying for it and uh, giving messages on it and preaching about it and uh, continuing to study going forward. Uh, it's just opened my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, we've been talking on Wednesday nights about how that we need to be effective stewards of what God puts in our hands. And for those of you that come on Wednesday nights, you already know this, but uh, for those of you who may not have been able to come, uh, one of the things that it opened my eyes to is something I already knew, but I got a new revelation about it. And that is the fact that we are stewards of simply everything that Jesus has put into our hands. Uh, That includes everything from the words that we speak, that includes our money, our finances, that includes our spouse, our children, our family, that includes our thought life, that includes the environment, that includes our church house, our church building, that includes our bodies, our minds. Simply, Jesus owns everything. And everything he owns, he has put into our hands, and we are, to be expe- or we are expected to be good stewards and effective stewards over all that he has put into our hands. Amen? And so one of the things that I found out about Jesus is that he is not only a giver, but he lives to give. That's why he came. He came to, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the most precious thing that he had. And so we're in this series about live to give. And I want to talk today about obedience is the key. I heard a message some time ago. And it was Pastor Jimmy Evans, if some of you recognize uh, his name, uh, but Pastor Jimmy Evans preached a message uh, called What Mary Knew About Miracles. And uh, there was one line from that message that really stuck with me, and so I just kind of want to emphasize that. Now, I'm not calling it what Mary knew about miracles. What I'm calling it is obedience is the key. Obedience is the key to everything in our life. Obedience is the key to our success. Obedience is the key to successful marriages and successful relationships uh, with our children, with our spouses, with our brothers and sisters uh, in the Lord and in our immediate families. Obedience is the key to success on our jobs, to promotions. Obedience is the key simply to an abundant life. Jesus said that I've come that you might have life and have it what? More abundantly, not just abundantly. But more abundantly, God is the God of over and above, of way too much. Come on now. But we are to be good stewards of what he has given us. So obedience is the key. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to John. John chapter 2, the Gospel of John chapter 2. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit, uh, read from this passage here. It is... Uh, the wedding uh, of Cana. Many of you will remember that. You've, you've read about this before. You've heard about it. Uh, but it's the wedding of Cana. Let me get my fancy. I got some fancy glasses today. I forgot my other glasses. So these, they don't quite go with my... There you go. These are the red glasses. So Jesus' words are in red. That's why I got these, these glasses here. So there you go. <laughs> it says, chapter 2, verse 1, 
says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I want you to remember that line from this passage. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing, listen, twenty or thirty gallons of peace. These were not just small water pots. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now. And take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then that which is inferior but you have kept the good wine until now. And then it goes on to say that this is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. Now let me tell you something about weddings in Israel or Jewish weddings at that time that you may not know. Some of you know, some of you may not know. Weddings at that time in Israel lasted for quite a while. How many know that? Okay, thank you, Brother Scott. They lasted for quite a while. Here you go, Sister Jody. That's, this is uh, seven reasons to love your church I had in my Bible. So, yeah, you may need to uh, check that out. <laughs> You're welcome. She's the last person who needs to know seven reasons to love your church, but I can joke with Sister Jody. <laughs> These weddings in Cana lasted about seven days, about a week, because it was a whole ceremony. You know, it was a reception that lasted for quite a while. And so... What happened was the groom's family was responsible for bringing all of the refreshments and for setting that whole thing up, okay? Bring all the refreshments, bringing the wine and the food and all of that. Now, what happened was when people got married at that time, they didn't go on a honeymoon. That was their honeymoon right there. So they didn't go anywhere. They kind of stayed, which is, you know, kind of the pits, I guess, to us. Some, you know, some of us might think that's the pits. But, uh, but they were treated, though, like kings and queens the whole time for that whole week. Right. And so they just they had their staycation and they just stayed right there and uh, they were just treated like kings and queens. But it was the groom's family's responsibility for all of the refreshments, for the wine and everything like that. So if they ran out of wine or they ran out of something early and, and remember, we just read this in the passage. It said on the third day, this is only the third day of the wedding. So if it lasted a whole week and you run out of wine on the third day. Well, listen, people are going to go home upset. It's got to end early, and now they're upset. And for the rest of their life, there would have been shame. They would have remembered that thing. Every time they went to the market, people would have said, yep, that's, the, that's that couple. We went to their uh, wedding, you know, three days. They ran out of wine. 
you know, what kind of thing is this? You know, everybody has it all the way up to seven days, and now they ran out of wine. So they would have had to live with that for the rest of their lives. It was the husband's responsibility for that. Also, some things that I kind of looked into and surmised uh, from this is it it could possibly have been uh, relatives of Mary and Jesus. Now, it doesn't say that in the scripture, but the reason why I say it could have possibly been that is because it would explain why Mary was so concerned, right? I mean, she was so concerned. They ran out of wine, and she looked at her son. Look, they ran out of wine. You know, and it could explain that. Uh, you know, some theologians think that it could have been John, who wrote the book of John, uh, maybe a cousin of Jesus. But all of that is conjecture, and it doesn't really matter. But uh, it kind of tells us, gives us a little background about what's going on here at, at this wedding. And so they ran out, they run out of wine at the wedding, and, uh, you know, everybody's all upset. Mary looks over to Jesus, and she says, look here, they ran out of wine they ran out of wine now here is a sign folks that Jesus performed that didn't seem like it had a lot of significance at all I mean when you think about the big picture when you think about all the things that Jesus did right and and a lot of of what he did isn't even written in scripture the Bible says that And so when you think about all the things, casting out demons, I mean, he's healing people who have been blind from birth, birth, lame people, uh, you know, now they walk again, lepers, 10 lepers were healed of lepers, all of these things, and this here is in the Bible, and it doesn't seem like it's of much significance. Really, it's simply helping a family in the community avoid embarrassment that's all it is it's just helping a family avoid embarrassment now my question I have a question about what Mary did because when you think about it she was very to the point right she just came up to Jesus they have no wine just right there she didn't mumble around they have no wine just like a mother right she knew the family would be embarrassed and Jesus could listen Jesus could not have performed miracles before this time and I'll tell you why but even with that in mind I you know I was thinking through this I thought about where they said this is the first sign that Jesus performed the first miracle you know I was just thinking uh, what what would it have been like if Jesus could have performed miracles growing up you know, I mean, what, what would that have been like? You know, I mean, what, what if they were out and Jesus was caught, you know, walking on the pond instead of swimming, you know, in the pond? Get down, get down in the pond like the rest of the kids, you know. I don't know, you know, if, what, what that would have been like. I mean, what, what if he was in the house there and, you know, the family pet, Ralph, got hit by a chariot, you know, and, and all of Jesus' brothers and sisters were crying and they were all upset, you know, and his mother kind of gives him that mother look. You know, and he, he, mom, I'm not, so he goes out there, he gets Ralph, brings him in, look, Ralph, he, he's okay, he was just knocked out a little bit, you know, I don't know what that would have been like, you know, if, if, what if he was there doing, you know, doing his homework one day after school, and his mom said, Jesus, I need some flour, I need some flour from the store, I need you to go to the store, well, I'm kind of busy, mom, I'm doing my homework, I got to get this done for tomorrow, yeah, but I need some flour. 
Why don't you look in the cabinet again, Mom? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I mean, all of that's just conjecture. Now, I'll tell you that the reason I say Jesus uh, couldn't have or didn't perform miracles up to this point is because Jesus was an example to us at, when he walked on the earth. Right, we can be exactly like him. He said, you'll do the miracles that I do, and you'll do even greater things than these. But the Jesus that did those miracles was the Jesus that was filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't forget, after he got baptized, he came up out of the water, the Spirit came on him like a dove, and after that, he began to perform miracles. See, it was with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Though his blood was 100% God, his flesh was 100% man. And if we're going to be like him, then we have to follow in his footsteps. We must then be filled with the spirit, right, in order to follow God and do the miracles that he called us to do. Uh, but I just, I just wondered that. And the reason why I wondered those things and thought of, that came to my mind because I was thinking, why did Mary ask Jesus or why did she mention this to him? You know, she must have known that he could do something about it. I mean, she was very to the point, you know. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, listen, we have no wine. That's it. She went right to him. And I don't know why she did that. I mean, you you know, it's funny. Notice what she does. Here, let me have a couple of volunteers. Come here, uh, Angie. Come here, Sarah. Yeah, you can volunteer. Yeah, this is this is called voluntold with her. That's what we say at work. You're you're voluntold, you know, volunteer. So you over here are Jesus and you got the long hair and everything. You're having a good time. You over here. You know, you're one of the faithful servants. You got your uh, white on. You're looking real good today. You're one of the faithful servants. I'm, and I'm Mary. So because I look like Mary, and it's how she would have looked, right? She's over here doing Jesus stuff, talking with her disciples over here. And, uh, you know, Mary's over here having a good time, you know, being a mom and being a socialite and doing her thing. And all of a sudden, she happens to look over there where Brother Scott is. He's the master of the feast, and he's kind of panicking because they have no wine. So what Mary does here, now I'm going to give you some parts, okay, for this little play. What you have to say is, what does your concern have to do with me? So practice real quick. What does your concern have to do with me? Very good. That's very good. That's good. Now all you have to do is, uh, when I say whatever he says, do it, say okay. So, so practice that. Okay. Very good. You, you got to learn your lines real quick. Okay. You remember your line? Yeah. You remember your line? Okay, so this is Mary over here doing, I just want you to get a picture of what, how poignant she was. So she's over here doing, she's looking over there, Brother Scott, he's like, you know, oh, wait, they have, you know, she said, and so she's looking, so she immediately, Jesus, they have no wine. What does your concern have to do with me? Whatever he says, do it. Okay, hmm. <laughs> okay you can sit down. Now, here's, but here's what I want you to notice about what just happened. Yeah, they, were, they did a good job. Give the Lord, they did a good job, the kids, right? <laughs> Here, but here's what I want you to notice about that, just about that exchange. Did you notice how Mary, she, she said she was paying attention to the master of the feast, right? Or maybe however that went down, but she noticed they, didn't, they were out of wine. She said, they have no wine. And Jesus said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? She didn't acknowledge Jesus anymore. It's the son of God. She turned to the servant and said, whatever he says, do it. Hmm. Just like a mother, right? I mean, she obviously knew that he could do. She didn't have anything. You know, it wasn't. It doesn't matter what Jesus said. Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus' mother right here on earth. I said they don't have any wine. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he said. And that's the line that I want you to remember. I want you to take with you today. Whatever he says, do it. 
Now Jesus was there. He was stuck because what he was trying to say was, you know, it's not my time yet. It's not, you know, I'm really not supposed to do any signs or miracles just yet. I got to heal the sick and do all this thing. Look, they're out of wine. Do something about it, okay? Helping a family avoid embarrassment. Helping a family avoid embarrassment. You know, notice how she says it. In other words, she just, and notice what she put on the end. Whatever he says, do it. In other words, just do it. Nike has made a billion dollars off of Mary because she's the first one that said, just do it. Whatever he says, do it. Right? And the thing that jumps out uh, to me about that was the whatever. Whatever he says, do it. Doesn't matter. Listen, take that to heart. Whatever he, how crazy was it to fill water pots with water because we're out of wine? What are you saying? We're out of wine. You're telling me to go fill up. And not only water, not drinking water. Remember, this was, these, these were ceremonial water pots that when the Jews came into the house, they had to wash their hands, right? You know, that's what they did with this water and then came on in. So he's saying, fill these ceremonial, how crazy is it to say, fill some water pots? That's, that, I mean, that's, that's crazy, but he said to do it. And I'm telling you this morning, if you want to see a miracle in your life, I, whatever he says, do it. I mean, if we're talking about giving in the offering, you know, or tithing, or if you're a person that doesn't tithe and God is speaking to your heart about starting to do that, or if you're a person that doesn't give, whether it's at church or to people or whatever it is, and maybe the Lord is speaking to you, I don't want you to work yourself up to giving some offering or, or tithe. That's not, this is not a message to work you up, right? That's, that's not, God has everything he needs. I just, I just want to tell you that this morning, just so we're on the same page. This is a message to help you and me to be blessed, right, in the presence of the Lord. In fact, Brother Jeff, we were in a meeting yesterday, and uh, we were just talking about some things, and we were, got to talking about giving and different things like that. And Brother Jeff brought up a good point in this meeting. He was saying, listen, uh, you, you need to give people the opportunity to give because if they don't, they'll lose an opportunity to be blessed. They'll lose an opportunity. It's God's way. It's the kingdom way to give. We need to be givers, to live, to give. So I'm not trying to work you up to give some offering or to go help someone in your family or uh, start tithing. I'm not trying to work you up for that. I want you to pray and listen. Here it is. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. Now, there are three things that I want you to know about obedience. Here's three things, and if you're a person that uh, takes notes, you might want to just write, just jot these three things down and keep them with you. In fact, I like one of the things uh, Brother Dick Iverson says, who will be with us, by the way, uh, on August, in August 30th, I think it is, uh, last Sunday in August, um, great man of God, and uh, one of the things he always says, he was a dean of a Bible college as well, in, in addition to being a pastor for uh, so many years uh, up in Portland, and one of the things he says is it's a good idea to take notes, right, because uh, when you take notes, it helps you to remember, it helps to get in your spirit, even if you don't ever go back and look at your notes. It's a good idea to take them, you know, it's a good idea to take notes, at least take down the addresses, you know, at least take down the scriptures, you know, and then what you can do, here's what you can do, take down the scripture or something like that, and then after I bore you to tears with these uh, corny jokes, and everything, just doodle, you know, and then I'll think that you're actually taking notes. It'll be good for both of us, and we can make it through, right? So it's a good idea to take notes. 
First thing I want you to know about obedience is obedience can be measured. Obedience can be measured. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, listen, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. That's what the Bible says. He said, fill the water pots with water. They filled them all the way up to the brim. That means that you can't get anything else in those water pots. And we just read it a moment ago. It said they were, I don't know how many gallons were in each water pot. So they weren't just small little pots like you see in the bathroom at a restaurant, you know, to wipe your hands. These were big water pots that had gallons of water and there were multiple water pots. So they filled them up to the brim. That means you can't get anything else in there. Filled them all the way up. Now I want you to think about this. Every drop of water that they put in those water pots turned into a drop of heaven's wine. Every drop. Now think about it. What if they would have only filled them up halfway? Or what if they would have only filled them up, you know, six inches from the top? Well, that's how much. They would have still got wine. They still would have uh, received heaven's wine, but they wouldn't have received as much. And not only that, it wasn't that they were being greedy. God told them. Jesus told them, fill them up, fill them up, he said. Fill them up. And they filled them up to the brim. You determine the measure that God blesses you with. Come on, folks. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago in Luke 6. Remember, with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See, a measure, the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. If you use a teaspoon to give to the kingdom of God, God will use a teaspoon to give back to you. Come on. If you use a cup to give to the kingdom of God, God will use a cup. If you use a quart, he'll use a quart. Use a bucket, God will use a bucket. You use a dump truck, come on. God, it says it. It's the, I'm not making it up. I'm not trying to get you to give. God says it. With what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You use a dump truck to give to the kingdom of God. God is going to use a dump truck to give back to you. Obedience can be, you determine the extent of the miracle by your obedience. I determine it. You determine it. They determine how much wine they got by how much water they put in. They put in something natural. God turned it into something supernatural. What is that telling you? you, you don't, listen, I'm not telling you. don't have to be rich. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about what you have and the sacrifice that you can make with what you have. Remember Moses as they crossed the Red Sea? You know, uh, oh, the, the Red Sea is here. What are we going to do? What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? God will use what you have in your hand to multiply. I mean, that's multiplication when the water goes up like this, right? I don't know what Moses could have done with that rod. Maybe he could have separated a little water right here for a moment. You can imagine that. But when he did this, it multiplied the separation. I'm talking about a huge, look at God's multiplication, folks. Uh, they walked across on dry land. Come on, you determine the measure that you use. And it's in every area of your life. We need, to, we need to be able to become extravagant givers in every area of our life. And I'm talking about every area. I'm talking about with our time to the Lord. A, a lot of us, come on. I mean, if we were really, I won't ask for a raise, you know, anyone to raise their hands, because I might raise my hands as well. 
you know. But listen, a lot of us, uh, we, have to, we have so much stuff to do, and we don't have much time to do it in, and we got to get this done and that done, and with our leftover time, we give it to the Lord. Come on. But we feel good because I gave some time to the Lord. But you're, you weren't being an extravagant giver with your time. Now, all of us have our own things, you know, but just personally for me, you know, I mean, if, if a football game is on or the Colts are on or, you know, there's two games on a Sunday afternoon that I want to see three hours each, that's six hours. You know, I might watch all of it because I'm an extravagant giver with my time when it comes to football, you know. But when it comes to the Lord, I'll read a little bit, then I get a little tired, so I need to go do something else, and I'll get back to it. See, or I'll pray just a little bit, just enough to get my three or four things in, that God heard those things, and then now I can go on about my day and get to the important stuff. Come on. Oh, I'm talking about people really going to be serious about it and, and look in the mirror if we're going to be serious about the thing. Come on, that's where we need to start. We need to look inward. And so we need to be extravagant givers in every area of our life. I mean, listen, on the subject of money, I know there are people who do not necessarily make a whole lot of money. I mean, there's a lot of uh, folks who may be a single dad, a single mom, maybe you're a person that has a, a, a lot of bills, whether you, know, you created them or circumstances happen, whatever it may be, the job you have. I, I get all that. I understand. I, I'm, not, I'm not talking necessarily about the amount of money you give. I mean, if Brother James is able to give, you know, $5,000 uh, every Sunday, you know, something like that, uh, you know, and, and I'm only able to give $10, you know, because that's my tithe, uh, well, then we, we're not to compare uh, the amounts. That's not what I'm talking about at all. Remember the widow's might? We don't even have to go back there. Most, most of you remember that, right? Jesus said she sacrificed, she gave more than all these Pharisees. So it's not necessarily just the amount that I'm talking about, but it's a sacrifice. Listen, here, what, here's what it is. Whatever he says, what? Do it. That's it. Pray. Whatever he says, do it. That's how you will be blessed. See, extravagance isn't so much about the amount. It's whatever he says, do it. And I guarantee you, whatever, uh, whatever he says, nine times out of ten, it's going to be something probably crazy and something you didn't expect. I would, if I was at that feast and I were one of the servants, I would have never expected him to say, fill up the water pots. What do you mean? We don't need, everybody's here. We don't need anyone to wash their hands. Why are you telling me to fill up? The, we're, we're dealing with wine. What are you talking about? So he may come from what may seem to you like from left field. When he says, do this thing, come on. Obedience prompts the supernatural in your life. And it can be measured. We need to remember that. Number two, obedience, this is a good one for me. Obedience transforms dead religion into exciting faith. Obedience transforms dead religion into exciting faith. You ever been around just a, a dead sort of religious society? You know, just, just folks, I mean, I, listen, you know, ever been to a dead party in your life? How about that? Come on, some of you have, right? You just, you just want to leave. I mean, it's just dead. You know, I don't like this music they're playing. I don't know what this stuff is they're serving. Uh, nobody's talking about anything. <laughs> Go, Brother Chris, you know, back in the day, all right. 
And, uh, you know, I just want to go home. This is just a dead party. I got all dressed up and put on my, you know, stuff here and shaved. Came out here and I was ready to, you know, have some fun and uh, just dead. You know, church folks can be like that too. And it's not supposed to be that way. I mean, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Come on. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. You want to talk about a party? This ought to be a party. I mean, we ought to come to the table partying, buddy. I mean, we, we reap where we don't even sow. You know, I know God, tell, God told, Paul told us, listen, you sow what you reap. But there's times, I'm, I'm telling you right now, where you reap where you don't even sow. And you reap in multiplication when you do so. Come on. I mean, if, if that's not a party to you, uh, I don't know what is a party, Right? I mean, think about this. These were these ceremonial washing pots. How do you think the people came to these washing pots when they come in? Do you think they were coming in all excited, going to the the washing pots? You know, these water pots? No, they came, oh, well, I got to do this, and, you know, I got to wash my hands before we get in here. Let's get that, you know, let's just, and they're not paying attention. I got to do this before I go to church, you know, that type of thing. It's just, they're just water pots. It's just something you do. There's ceremony. There was nothing spectacular or exciting about these particular water pots, okay? They just had to wash their hands before they went in until Jesus got involved. I'm telling you that once Jesus got involved, those water pots became party central, buddy. Come on. Oh, yeah, everybody wanted to be around the water pot. They were an exciting place to be now. I mean, there were all kind of people hanging around the water pots by the end of that evening. They loved those water pots. I I bet some of them said, can I take a couple of these water pots home with me? Come on. There were some exciting. Once Jesus gets involved, come on. These are some exciting water pots. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but I want to live an exciting life. I mean, I, I, you know, some of you I'm, 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 I'm a little older than, and some of you I'm just a little teeny bit younger than. I realize that, uh, you know, but I've been around long enough to know that, listen, I, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to live a boring life. I mean, I've, 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 you know, like a lot of you, I've been there, done that. Some of the young people, there's a lot of things you haven't seen yet. But, uh, you know, you try so many things under the sun. You try this, you try that. You, you succeed over here, fail over here, do this, do that. You know, and after a while, it's like, well, you know, what am I here for? Right? I mean, I want to live an exciting life. And I'm telling you, the way to live an exciting life, whatever he says, do it. That's an exciting life. I'm going to tell you, that's an ex- whatever he says, do it. Those water pots became more than just a dead religion. They turned into exciting faith. And those servants had to have faith. I'll tell you who had to have the most faith was the servant that took, uh, you know, that dipped it out and took it to the master of the feast. You know, he might have had his life in his hands because, you know, he dipped that water out and took it to the master of the feast. Can you imagine this? Uh, Here, try this. It's good. You know, last he saw, last he saw it was water. The master of the feast is looking for wine, you know. And so he had to have faith. He had to believe it. There are people that have been, I know people myself, that have been in church for years. And they are so worn out. And they could be some of the most boring people. Come on. You could ever want to be around. Christian fossils. <laughs> Come on, you know some of them. You just don't want to admit it. Nobody at this church, but you know some out there somewhere. 
You just don't want to admit it. They're not very exciting at all. But I'll tell you what, I've been around some people who have been around the Lord for a long time, and uh, they're still excited about Jesus. Still. You want to know why? Because whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. They're living a life of excitement. They're living it. Whatever he says, do it. I know, I was thinking about this. I know, and I heard this. I know a story of a man. He goes to a, a different church uh, down in Texas. But this man was part of this church. And um, what, what happened was he, his church was doing a building project over a three-year period. And so they were asking, uh, you know, people in the congregation, if you can, we'd like you to commit to a three-year uh, giving program. You know, what can you do over three years? And uh, we're going because we're going to build, and maybe you can give so much, you know, and over this three-year period. So it was a building project. So he he wanted to participate. This was a man of means. Um, he had some money. He wanted to participate. This is a true story, by the way. He wanted to participate in this thing. And he, so he went to the Lord and he said, Lord, uh, I, you know, I want to participate in this. I'm, I'm able to do it, you know. And so uh, you've blessed me so much and I want to be able to give. And he said, I just want to come to you to find out what it is that I should give. And immediately the Lord spoke to him and said, $50,000. And, and he said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to pray a little bit more. Uh, take your time. I just want to make sure it's you, you know. And so I just pray, take your time. The Lord said $50,000. I want you to give $50,000 over a three-year period. Now, even for this man who was a man of means, that's, that's going to be quite a sacrifice for him. I mean, he wasn't, you know, Bill Gates. <laughs> you know, he just had a successful business. Uh, and so he said, boy, I tell you what, that's, 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 that's tough. So he went home. He was out in his backyard. And uh, he lived close to the airport and in Irving, uh, Texas there. And uh, he looked up. He heard a plane going over. And he looked up, and he was watching this plane go over. And he heard the Lord speak to him and said, uh, why are you looking up in the air? You think I'm going to uh, drop it out of the sky? <laughs> he said, I'm not going to drop the money out of the sky. Why are you looking up? He said, what you need to do is go into your office and begin to look at your budget and see how you're going to give this money because I'm telling you right now, I want you to give $50,000 over the next three years. So he went into his office. He began to look, and he said, well, you know, I, I have this here, Lord. He said, you blessed me so much, and I guess if you blessed me before, you'll bless me again. So let me just, let me just look. So he went in there, and he looked, and he saw where some, he had some things in his budget. He said, well, if I take this out, he said, if I don't upgrade my car every three years, uh, my grandfather used to do that, uh, you know, every three years. Of course, he didn't do it until he was older and had some money. But, uh, you know, every three years, he, he would upgrade his car. You know, he'd just trade the old one in and get a new car type of thing. And uh, he said, well, if I don't do that, this, this three years, uh, and I wait till the next time, I can take that out of my budget. And, and God said, okay, yeah, yeah, you can do that. And he began to look at different things, and he began to take different things out of his budget, things he knew he could sacrifice. You know, it wouldn't hurt his family at all, but he sacrificed this. He'd be in a and when he took all these things out and began to add it up, it turned out to be the exact amount that he could give over a three-year period, $50,000, okay? Took all these things out of his budget. Now, let me tell you, here's the thing about it. Here's the, here's the exciting part to me when I hear this man tell the story. He, and he gave over the three-year period. He was able to do it, and he gave $50,000. By the end of the three-year period, he looked back, and God had blessed him so much, had increased and prospered his business so much, until everything that he took out of his budget, he was able to put back in his budget. At the end of the three years, all of the things that he had sacrificed were now back into his budget. Now, that's not the exciting part. That's just getting back what you gave, okay? Just putting back into my budget. 
what happened was he, he, he got a letter from the airport. Airport wrote him this letter, DFW, and said, listen, uh, we've been, do, we've been uh, compelled by the FAA to do a study, and we've done a study, and your house is right in the flight pattern. It's so many feet, however it is, from the runway. By the way, his neighbor's house wasn't in the flight pattern. It was just too far. His, his house was just right there in the, in the flight pattern. And he said, we've been ordered to pay you the amount of money that we believe it, you know, that uh, is for hardship for you and for your house being in the flight pattern. Guess how much the check was? $50,000. Gave him a check back for $50,000. I'm telling you, whatever he says, do it. And then he was out, then he went out to his backyard and he heard a plane going over and he looked up again and heard God say, I can drop it out the sky if I want to. (laughs) It's not that hard for me, just believe me. (laughs) But I'm telling you, there's tons of stories and testimonies like that. Whatever he says, do it. And you're thinking, well, he got the check from the airport. That just replaced the $50,000. Listen, don't forget. Remember, I told you, over the three years, God blessed his business so much until everything he took out. So he, he, he went, uh, God, gave, God owes no man. God gave him back over and above and what he gave. Come on. And it's not just with money. I know, I'm telling you, it's just the easiest thing. But listen, it's every area of our life. It's with love. It's with Everything. Everything. A lot of people say, well, you know, I want God to drop it out of the sky for me. I've been struggling. Don't forget this man, three years of sacrifice. Come on. And he didn't see it. He, uh, you know, he, all he knew was, listen, God told me to do it, and I've been blessed before. You know, he didn't know that they were doing a study at the airport. I'm talking about sacrifice. You want God to drop it out of the sky for you? <laughs> Whatever he says, do it. Come on. And the third thing, last thing is this obedience, if you don't get anything else, get this one, please. Obedience is the key to your heart's desire. Obedience is the key to your heart's desire. This thing about this miracle or this sign that we just read about, I mean, think about this for a second. It's his first public sign. It wasn't raising someone from the dead. It wasn't, come on, casting out a demon wasn't healing someone, wasn't doing anything. It was simply, listen now, it was simply blessing a family at their children's wedding with the refreshments. That was Jesus' first miracle. Blessing a family at their children's wedding with the refresh, helping pay for the refreshments at their children's wedding. Are you getting this? You see the impact of this? You know what this tells me? It tells me that God cares about what you care about. God cares about exactly what you care about. You care about your family? God cares about your family. You care about sending your kids to college? God cares about sending your kids to college. You care about having medical and dental for your family? God cares about that. You care about, you know, uh, upgrade, getting a new house? Because this house is too small or you've been in it for so, whatever it is. God cares about that. God cares about what you care about. Someone in your family going through it, you care about them, God cares about it. God cares about it. We've got this thing, uh, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but we've got this thing where our heart's desires, we we put them over here. 
And then when we go to give, if we're going to give to church or whatever it is, that's kind of like over here. But I had to keep something back for my heart's desires. You know, I, 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 I was thinking about this. I, uh, I, I wanted to take my wife. She's, her birthday's coming up, and I won't give you her age, but it's, to me it's a significant, kind of significant year uh, for her. And I wanted to do something nice. And so I was thinking, Lord, I really want to do something different than just have a party for her this year. And so I thought, I want to take her on vacation, you know, just her and I, you know, leave the kids at home and that type of thing. And uh, hopefully we'll come back uh, after that. But, you know, just go on vacation, <laughs> right? And uh, so, so uh, I, I was praying about that and I realized something. God cared about that. He worked the way out where we're, I'm taking her in October to Key West. And it's just going to be her and I, you know, out on the beach somewhere, no agenda, all of those types of things. And, but listen, uh, it was all because God cared about what I cared about. That's what it is. God cares about what you care about. Yeah, Renee, you can't go. I'm sorry. Maybe a different day. Hey, listen, God cares about what you care about. So you start praying now and one day, one day. <laughs> But we got this thing where we keep our heart's desires over here and our, our giving and our church stuff over here. And listen to what I'm telling you. I'm telling you the key to your heart's desires is giving to God. That's what I'm telling you. You want your heart's desires met? Press in toward the presence of the Lord because in his presence there's what? Fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are what? Pleasures evermore. It's in God where we get all of our heart's desires met. But we treat it like, well, I got to go to church. I give my little tithe. I do my thing there. Now let me get back to life and see if I can go on vacation or get some of my heart's desires. And I'm telling you that it's here in the presence of the Lord that God will make a way for all of your heart's desires. All of them. What he's telling you this morning is, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Once your heart's desires met, press in to the press. Seek God first. Listen, whatever he says. Listen to the scripture, Psalms 37, 4. You know it. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Listen to me, every time we've given to God, every time I've given to God, every single time my wife and I have given to the Lord, we have had a need. We've been in need. There's something that we have needed, but we give anyway. And I'm telling you this morning, if you'll build God's house, he'll build your house. That's what the Lord is speaking to you this morning. Here's, and I'm going to tell you something that you may, many of you may not believe really in your heart. You'll say it. You'll hear it. But I don't know if you really believe it in your heart. But I'm telling you this. If you would believe this in your heart, it would change your whole life. And that is this. God wants to bless you more than you want to bless yourself. And I'll tell you something else. God will bless you more than you bless yourself. And I'll give you two reasons. I'll give you two reasons. Two very good reasons to me why God will do that. Second reason, I'll give you that one first. Second reason is this, because I think the first one's more important, obviously. Second reason is simply God has more money and resources than you do. That's just that simple. God's got more money than you do. The first reason is God loves you more than you love yourself. 
God loves you more than you could possibly love yourself. That's why he says, but seek me first. Seek my kingdom. Seek my ways first. Seek the way of giving first. And all of these other things will be added onto you. See, if you seek God first, here's the thing. You seek God first and you press your way into the presence of the Lord. You understand this concept, this kingdom concept of giving. And you, and you go by his way first. You'll get God and you'll get everything that goes along with that. All these things will be added unto you. But if you don't seek God first, you won't get God and you won't get all the blessings that go along with it. And if you do uh, acquire things, guess what? Cursing is going to come with them. Come on. Uh, listen, I'm telling you, I know a lot of people that have gained a lot of money, have a successful company, but it cost them their marriage to get there. Come on. I know a lot of people that have gained success, but now they don't have a good relationship with their kids. It cost them something, some cursings. They're cursed just to get there. It's not God's way. Proverbs 2.22, the blessing of the Lord makes one what? Rich. The Bible says that. And he adds no sorrow to it. He doesn't add cursing and sorrow to that thing. Come on. Remember what he told Joshua. Observe to do. You know it. All that is written therein. Keep this in your mouth, he's saying. Keep my word in your mouth, my ways in your mouth. And you shall make your own way prosperous and you will have good success. There's a reason why it says good success. Anytime you see good success, there must be a bad success. Who wants to have success with cursings? Not me. I don't know about you. But I'm telling you this morning, God, listen, I'll say this and I'll finish up. You remember the story of Solomon. You probably remember this. I can't remember. I think it's in 1 Kings, maybe around chapter 3. But you remember when God came to Solomon and uh, he, he, he came to Solomon and he said, what, what is it that you want, Solomon? And of course, you all know Solomon said wisdom. So he gave the right answer. And then because of that, God, ble- he, was a, he, he was the most blessed man, you know, Uh, on the face of the earth. God blessed him with every, he blessed him with every spiritual blessing. He blessed him uh, with every earthly blessing that he could ever want. And and because he gave that answer. God only talks to extravagant givers like that. Okay? Here's the thing that the Lord showed me though. He said, did you read what was before that? He said, go back and read a little bit before I asked Solomon this. And the Bible talks about, before that passage of Scripture, the Bible talks about how Solomon went into the the tabernacle or the temple and uh, he sacrificed a thousand offerings. One thousand offerings. Now let me tell you something. Kings would go to sacrifice and they they were required to sacrifice one sacrifice. So if you really want to do something, you might sacrifice five if you want to go above and beyond. I mean, if you want to do something no one has ever done before, I'm, I'm, that's right, you might give 10, 10 times what normal kings do. That's what I'm going to give. The Bible says Solomon gave a thousand times what he was required to give. Why do you think God came to him and said, Solomon, whatever you want? Because he knew Solomon was an extravagant giver. Solomon would give all that he had if God asked him to. 
can many of us say that? He gave all that he had. And because of that, God came to him and said, whatever you want, Solomon, what do you want? The other day I was thinking about this and I was praying and the Lord, it wasn't like Solomon, but it was, it was kind of like that where the Lord asked me a question. He said, what is, what's the desire of your heart? What is it that, uh, that you want? And I'm thinking, Lord, you know what I want. You know my heart, you know. And uh, he said, no, you, you tell me. I want to know what you want. And she doesn't know this, but I, there's so many things that you could want. I mean, uh, we really don't need a bigger house, but uh, we could use a different car. Uh, you know, I'd like to be full-time pastor and not have to be bivocational. Uh, I mean, there's just many things. You know, better golf shoes, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know. And, uh, but I said, you know what, Lord, I want, uh, I want Dietra for the rest of my life. That's what I want. I want her to love me for the rest of my life. And he said, okay. Now, let me ask you a question. How much money is that worth? What's that worth to you? I mean, you think God can't give you money? You think he can't provide for you? You think he can't uh, give you a way to pay your bills? Let me ask you a question this morning. What's the desires of your heart? Because God cares about what you care about. Jesus this morning is sitting at the table of your heart's desires. He's sitting at the table of your heart's desires, waiting for you to tell him, what is it that you want?